just before I get into this morning's message on heaven, I need to correct something that I said last Lord's Day. I don't want to be in error. I said at that occasion that Hades and hell are the same thing. Hades and the lake of fire are the same thing. That is not accurate, and I want to correct myself. Let me tell you what Hades is. Hades is the intermediary place of temporary confinement of souls after death. Unregenerate souls wait in an unnamed portion until the great white throne judgment. Regenerate souls once waited in a portion called paradise or Abraham's bosom until the resurrection of Christ, that changed. Since Christ's resurrection, the believer's souls go immediately to heaven to be with Jesus, absent from the body, present with the Lord. So Hades is not the same as the lake of fire. Hades is not the same as hell. I just wanted to make that correction before I go any further this morning. This morning, we are continuing and getting near the end of our series on major end-time prophecy events that the Bible gives us. We've been saying week after week, and I hope that it's starting to stick in many of your minds, that we are in the church age, the age which is... uh, Whosoever will may come to Christ for salvation, started with the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, is running all the way through where the church of Jesus Christ continues to be the primary vehicle of blessing for the world. We have the responsibility and the privilege of giving the gospel. That is the church age. We could be near the end of the church age. I don't know. God doesn't give me a date for the rapture. But the rapture return of Christ, where he comes to earth's atmosphere, resurrects the bodies of believers from the church age, and then translates, catches up the living believers at the moment of the rapture, and thus we shall ever be with the Lord, 1 Thessalonians 4. Then we come to seven years of unprecedented outpouring of God's righteous wrath on sin on earth called the tribulation. The church of Jesus Christ will not go through the tribulation because we will have been raptured. The tribulation chapters, primary chapters in the New Testament are Revelation chapters 4 through 19, where the term church is not mentioned once. While the church is not in the tribulation on earth, the church from the church age will be evaluated during the tribulation time on earth. In heaven, you and I will be evaluated. Our good deeds will be evaluated by Jesus. Not our bad deeds, not our sins. Christ has paid for those. They're whiter than snow. He's washed those whiter than snow. But he looks at the good deeds, which you and I have done during the church age, and he will see that some of those good works are rewardable in the kingdom and others are unrewardable in the kingdom. The Bema Judgment Seat of Christ, 1 Corinthians 3 and 2 Corinthians 5. The second coming event of Jesus Christ, not to be confused with the rapture return of Christ, but the second coming of Christ to the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem will conclude the seven years of tribulation and will begin thousand-year literal kingdom of King Jesus on the earth. For this to be tenable, Jesus Christ will arrest and confine Satan to an abyss or to a pit with a chain and a lid, and he will be confined and jailed for a thousand years and will not be able to deceive anyone during Christ's literal kingdom on earth. At the end of that time, there will have been uh, persons who entered the millennium with bodies capable of reproduction. These would be those who didn't die a martyr's death near the end of the tribulation, would come into the kingdom with bodies that can reproduce, and there'll be many babies born. 
many, many babies will be born during the millennium, and they will grow up to be adults, and they will have babies, and their babies will have babies over a thousand years. And at the end of the millennium, when Jesus takes Satan and sets him free for a time to prove that he can defeat Satan when the playing field is level, many people, when Satan wants a coup d'etat of King Jesus and his kingdom, will side with Satan to try to overrule overthrow King Jesus. It says in Revelation 20 that the numbers of those persons will be innumerable. It'll be like the sand of the seashore. Amazing. The problem is the human heart, not the human environment. The human heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17, verse 9. At the end of the final battle, when Jesus defeats Satan by the word of his mouth, calling down fire from heaven... Then there will be a great white throne judgment. We talked about that in two sermons past, the time when all the unbelieving, unredeemed, unsaved persons from Adam and Eve forward to the time of the great white throne judgment will stand before Judge Jesus and be sentenced to the lake of fire or hell. They will be judged according to the deeds that are kept in books. There will be degrees of punishment in hell. Hell will be hell for everyone, but for certain persons, it will be very much more severe than a severe hell. That's a place that none of us would want to go. That's a place that we would want for none of our loved ones. We would not want for any of our enemies. I hope you're sharing your faith. Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life, and no one comes to the Father in the eternal new heavens and new earth. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. I hope you're sharing your faith in humble loving reliance upon the Holy Spirit. I hope you're sharing your faith and inviting people to trust Jesus so they'd be spared the great white throne judgment and sentencing in the lake of fire. I hope you're sharing your faith. After the great white throne judgment, after earth and the heaven, the current earth and heaven are incinerated by fire, by Jesus' command, a new heaven and a new earth will be made. A perfect heaven and a perfect earth will be made. And we who know Jesus as Savior will enter that wonderful heaven and that wonderful earth, the remade new heaven and the new earth, and we will enjoy the glories, the splendors, the perfections of our King and Savior, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and will go on forever. This message this morning is from Revelation 21 and gives a one of two-part message I'll have for you, God willing, on heaven. Revelation 21, this Lord's Day, God willing, if he spares life, Revelation chapter 22, next Lord's Day. You know, it seems to me that the evangelical pulpit used to preach the glory of heaven often, but it seems to me that in our times, many evangelical preachers preach felt needs preach how to have success in the here and now to the expense of preaching heaven. In so doing, that kind of preaching that neglects heaven is preaching that infers that earth is more important than heaven, which is not the case. The kind of preaching that omits or minimizes preaching on heaven also conditions those who hear or don't hear these sermons to get way too comfortable with earth considering that heaven is actually our home. I enjoy listening to the Gaither Homecoming, viewing the Gaither Homecoming, and when you see some of those 
wonderful, rousing gospel songs that they sing, so many of them have to do with heaven, don't they? The prospect of heaven, the hope of heaven, the joy of heaven, and how all those things carry us through the valleys and the hardships of earth. I've had some chance to minister God's word in some persecuted countries where the church of Jesus Christ is persecuted. And I'm here to tell you that when those precious churches meet in homes, they sing about heaven because they need to, because they could die the week leading up to the next Lord's Day and their minds are fixed on heaven. Fixing our minds on heaven has here and now benefit. In John Bunyan's classic Pilgrim's Progress, two pilgrims are making their way to the celestial city. And one asks the other, when do you find yourself in your most wholesome and most vigorous spiritual state? The answer comes when I think of the place to which I am going. We have perhaps many unwholesome believers. We have perhaps many frail believers today, largely because no one is encouraging enough the contemplation of heaven. A common statement used to be, he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. Now, unfortunately, the saying should be, he's so earthly minded, he's no heavenly good. I wonder how many of us, when hearing this lyric sung by Steve Green, our brother in Christ, can resonate this morning. Heaven is my passion and prize the goal on which I firmly fix my eyes, reward of the faithful, desire of the wise. Heaven is my passion and prize. Is heaven your passion and prize this morning? And I wonder how many of us think with Al Martin along the following lines, and I quote, think of it, this very globe and I love to think of it in these terms, this very earth that has soaked up the blood of multitudes upon battlefields, this very earth where the sod is stained with innocent blood, this very earth that supports the footsteps of the tyrant and the lecher and the murderer and the thief, this very earth that supports the rebel activity of the multitudes of the unconverted, this very earth in which God Almighty is denied, this very air that surrounds us that men breathe into their larynxes and speak words of blasphemy and denial of God, that this very world and its total life support system will be renovated by the fire judgment at the return of Christ. And when he is through, every particle, every atom of this earth and its support system will be permeated with nothing but righteousness it will be the new heaven and the new earth wherein righteousness and righteousness alone has its home. End of quote. Beautifully said. What glorious prospects, prospects that ought to occupy our thoughts and our heart's desires, perhaps far more than they already do. I hasten to say before we get into Revelation 21, there are some among us who do a better job of contemplating heaven and dwelling on heaven. They are the precious ones who have said goodbye in death to loved ones who knew Christ. 
We have sent some of our best to heaven, and we think about heaven. We long for heaven. We want to know more about heaven. I understand all of that. The book of Revelation mentions heaven 54 times. And within the book of Revelation, the last two chapters, 21 and 22, give us major New Testament uh, understandings of what God wants us to know about heaven. We need to study these two chapters in the next two Sundays carefully, but then we need to contemplate what we learn of heaven in these two chapters so that it will change how we see life now and how it will change how we see the gospel now and it will change how we see lost persons without Christ as Savior now. Revelation 21, verse 1. John, under inspiration, writes, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. Prior to this verse, we have been saying in our panoramic review of end times that in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 and following, there is a prediction that the current heaven and the current earth are going to be destroyed in God's plan by fire. 2 Peter 3, 7. But the present heavens and earth, by his word, are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. And then verses 10 to 13, same chapter. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat. And the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat? But according to his promise, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So when we come to Revelation 21, verse 1, and John sees the future to see a new heaven and a new earth, it's because the old heaven and the old earth has been burned up. Will you notice from uh, Revelation 21, 1 again, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no interesting prediction of the new heaven will no longer be any sea or ocean. I believe it's both a figurative statement and a literal statement. Let me tell you how it is figuratively that heaven will have no sea. As you know from reading any of Jewish history, the Jews have never been mariners, nor are they seafarers today. And accordingly for them, the sea represents things like mystery and danger and confusion and restlessness and chaos, and above it all, what sea represents to the average Jewish person is a reason to fear. This is why Jesus pictured death to his Jewish listeners for a child hinderer as having a heavy millstone tied around his neck and then being drowned in the depths of the sea. So is it not great that there will be absolutely no reason whatever to fear in heaven? None. 
no see. Literally, it would also should be taken, there will be no sea or oceans in the new heaven and the new earth. I don't know why, but I do know this. Enjoy the seas around the Bahama Islands now. <laughs> I was snorkeling on Jaws Beach yesterday. Oh, my word. The sea life that I saw, the vibrant colors, the seemingly endless array of, of, of different species of fish and corals that God has made. Oh, enjoy them now. We live in some of the best oceanic real estate in the world. We're so blessed. But in the new heavens and the new earth, for God's good reasons, there will no longer be any sea. The next thing I see in verse 1 is that the heaven will be new. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is the Greek word kainos. Kainos means new with respect to quality, not with respect to time. The new with respect to quality and not the new with respect to time. So this, let me illustrate. This is when some car manufacturer comes up with an electric car that can hold a charge long enough that the mass market will be appealed to buy it. When you have a new electric car like that, we're talking about new kinos, not a nice 2018 gas-fueled car. We're talking about new better New, different, not merely new, younger. The new heaven and the new earth will be new, better, glorified, sinless, everlasting, stable, holy, righteousness saturated, new in a different way, different with respect to quality, better, perfect, perfect. Verse 2, and I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. The capital city of the new heaven and the new earth will be the new Jerusalem. Heaven is bigger than this capital city, but the new Jerusalem will be the capital city of the new heaven and earth. This is totally consistent with God's dealings in the past. This is consistent because Jerusalem has been the capital city for the Jews for over 3,000 years now. And Jerusalem will be the capital city of Christ's thousand-year kingdom on earth. And the new Jerusalem, different, better, perfect Jerusalem, will be the eternal capital city of heaven in the final state. God is consistent. Now I'm going to read, almost in a Bible study fashion, more than preaching this morning, I'm going to read verses 3 to the end of chapter 21, and I'm going to pause very frequently to make some comments after I read one or two verses at a time. The first thing I want to see with you is verse 3. John says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. And he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. God with us is the new heaven and the new earth. 
Emmanuel, God with us, is the new heaven and the new earth. When we are in the new heaven and the new earth, God will be constantly with us. And we will have intimate fellowship and undiluted worship. Verse 4, still in a loud voice. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. No graves ever dug in the new earth. No funerals. No death. No tears. No mourning. No crying. No pain. Verses 5 and 6. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. The Lord Jesus Christ will beyond the throne of the new heaven and the new earth. And he himself will be the perfect and complete provision for our deepest needs. Jesus Christ himself will be the fullness of the provision that God intends for each of us who populate the new heaven and the new earth. I've told you before of a terminal patient who had a born-again physician, and they talked about the patient's imminent death. And one day the patient said to the doctor, he said, Doctor, could you tell me more about heaven? You've gone over the Bible verses in Revelation 21 and 22. I've heard you. I appreciate that. But can you tell me anything more? I'm going there soon. Can you tell me anything more? Doctor said, wait a moment. He exited the examination room, and he came back and closed the door behind him. Not very long after that, there was the sound of a dog scratching at the outside of the door to the examination room, and the whimpers, The doctor said, do you hear that? That's my Labrador retriever. He has never been in this examination room. I don't allow him because it's a sterile examination room. He's never been in this room. He's never seen this room. But he desperately wants to get into this room because he knows I am in the room. We may want to know more about heaven than the scriptures give us, but we need to content ourselves that with what God has given us in his word about heaven is all that he intends for us to know for now. And all the question marks that you or I may have beyond scripture's descriptions, you just bank on this, that heaven will be being with Jesus. And that will be enough to be with our Lord and Savior That will be enough. Verse 7, And he who overcomes shall inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. I've taught you before that 
The scriptures in the New Testament teach us that to overcome is to be saved. To be saved by God's grace through faith in God's Son is to overcome. All who are saved are overcomers. All who are overcomers are those who are saved by Jesus Christ's crosswork. And so it says in 1 John 5, 4 and 5, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? If you have faith in Jesus for salvation and you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, then you don't have to worry. You're an overcomer. You will be an overcomer on earth, and you are an overcomer forever in heaven. And so going back to Revelation 21, 5 and 6, and he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the waters of life without cost. And he who overcomes shall inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. On to verse 8. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. These are two literal places. The new heaven and the new earth is a literal place. The lake of fire is a literal place. Hell is a literal place. And what makes the difference as to where one goes is what one does or doesn't do with Jesus Christ while you're alive on earth. No second chances after death. By the time the new heaven and the new earth are unveiled and the new Jerusalem is unveiled, all the unbelieving dead, all the Christ rejectors of all of human history will have appeared before Jesus at the great white throne judgment one by one, and they will have been sentenced to the lake of fire in, in commensurate proportion to the sins they've committed as recorded in the books. Verse 9. And one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, and I shall show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. That's us. The persons who came to know Christ in the church age the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, the incredible body of Christ as we call ourselves at Calvary. Verse 9, And one of the angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. It's like the bride, the wife of the Lamb, the church, you and me in aggregate are trophies of God's grace that the angel is pleased to show when he does a tour of the new heaven and the new earth. And it seems like even that the bride and the wife of the lamb, the church in some manner, to some degree, shapes the tone of the capital city of the new Jerusalem. Because when you look back at the first verse of this chapter 21, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth that passed away, and there's no longer any sea. Two, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for husband. 
when we are made to stand before the glory of Jesus Christ without spot or wrinkle or blemish, without any stumbling, Jude 24. In some manner, the righteousness conferred upon us by the Lord Jesus Christ, imputed to us by grace, in some way that righteousness of the bride, the bride of Christ, in some manner will shape the tone of the capital city of New Jerusalem. Verses 10 and 11. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. This new Jerusalem, capital city of the new heaven and the new earth, will be prepared. It will be ready. It will be so impressive, brilliant, with God's own glory, full, chock full of God's glory. Jesus referred to this in John 14, 2, before the cross. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you, the new Jerusalem, in the new heaven and the new earth is ultimately that prepared place. Verses 12. Well, actually, let me read uh, 10 and 11. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like the very costly stone as a stone of crystal clear jasper. Jasper is diamond. Verse 12 and 13. It had a great and high wall with 12 gates, and the gates were 12 angels, and at the gates, excuse me, were 12 angels, and names were written on them, which are those of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. 13. There were three gates on the east and three gates on the north and three gates on the south and three gates on the west. You know, it will be interesting that heaven's capital city, the New Jerusalem, will be a gated community. It's not just Lyford Key or Albany or other places that are gated communities. Heaven, the New Jerusalem, will be a gated community. It will be square. The new Jerusalem will be square. It will have four walls, three gates to each of the four walls. Israel's 12 tribes acknowledged, one per gate. Verse 14, and the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. 12 foundations for this wall, this diamond wall, the New Testament's 12 apostles acknowledged one per foundation. The redeemed in heaven will come from both testaments of the Bible, the Old Testament Israelites who believed in God and the New Testament church also saved by grace through faith. But even in eternity, I find it interesting that the Lord will make at least some distinction between believing Israel and the believing church. Verses 15 and 16. And the one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its wall. And the city is laid out as a square, and its length is as great as its width, 
and he measured the city with rod 1,500 miles. Its length and width and height are equal. The fact is that a person really usually only measures something which they own. I had no interest in measuring any lot of real estate in Pike County, Pennsylvania until I bought one. And then I was very interested that the surveyors came out and surveyed the piece of land that my house sat on. I was very interested that they put the four pegs per survey on the corners of my property. And every year in the spring, I went around with a fluorescent orange spray can and I sprayed those four pegs because I wanted no one encroaching on the land that I owned. Thing is that most often for all of us, one only measures what one owns. And the Lord Jesus had his angel measure the new Jerusalem because the Lord Jesus owns it and because graciously he wants us to know the size of the new Jerusalem ahead of getting there. The measurements here are rather remarkable. The New Jerusalem is 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles wide, and 1,500 miles high. That's big. Anybody who speculates, will there be room for all, everybody who's God redeemed from all human history? Yeah, there will be. Now, this measurement of 1,500 miles long by 1,500 miles wide by 1,500 miles up allows for two possible shapes for the new Jerusalem. It could either be a cube or a pyramid, right? And I can emphatically say which it is. It could be a pyramid or it could be a cube. I will say this as an aside, that in the Old Testament, it describes the tabernacle's holy of holies as a perfect cube. Heaven's capital city will be ample in its size. Remember, the capital city of heaven is not all that's heaven. <laughs> Verse uh, 17. And he measured its wall 72 yards according to human measurements, which are also angelic measurements. 72 yards, the measurement on that was the thickness of the walls. Those are thick walls. The New Jerusalem's capital city walls are 144 cubits thick or 216 feet thick or 72 yards thick. I'm an NFL football fan. A 72-yard pass completion is a pretty good uh, pass completion in the NFL. The walls of the New Jerusalem, the capital city of the new heaven and the new earth, will be 72 yards thick. I told you before, verse 18, and the material of the wall was jasper. I told you before that jasper is diamond. 72-yard thick diamond walls. And the city was pure gold like clear glass. And then verses 19 and 20, the foundation stones of the city were well adorned with every kind of precious stone, 
The first foundation stone was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardinox, the sixth sardis, the seventh uh, chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophrase, and the eleventh jasoneth, and the twelfth amethyst. These will be extremely colorful, precious gemstones. Their colors include green, blue, red, white, golden, sea green, yellow, and purple. They also have, beyond ascetic beauty, they have a colorful symbolism to them in that at least eight of these 12 precious stones were part of the Old Testament high priest's breastplate. Verse 21. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. This is staggering. This verse is absolutely staggering when you stop and think about it. This verse is saying that the 12 supernatural pearls will be 1,500 miles high. One pearl. You know when an oyster now makes a pearl, you know how it works. An irritant comes into the oyster, sand or such thing, and then the oyster secretes certain things that go around the irritant to ease the pain of the oyster, and a pearl is made. Could it be that God makes the 12 gates into the new Jerusalem, 1,500-mile-high pearls to remind us of the great travail, the great suffering that Jesus went through on the cross to make us fit for heaven. Verses 22 and 23. And I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine upon it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. Its lamp is the Lamb. No temple, no sun, no moon, no stars. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, enough. More than enough a new heaven and a new earth, new better, new different, new perfect. Verse 24, and the nations shall walk by its light and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory into it. Maybe I could put it this way that the peoples, the redeemed peoples of heaven will be unpartitioned. They will not live or group into geographic, socio-political countries that they once knew on this earth. But we will be an unpartitioned redeemed people and we will live together with each other in absolute and perfect harmony and with perfect and absolute love for each other and with perfect and absolute worship of the Lord Jesus and with perfect, unmitigated joy. Remember when verse 1 of this chapter said, 
And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. Some commentators interpret no longer any sea this way. They say that heaven will no longer have any national borders. Seacoast can provide national borders to countries, right? No longer any national borders. One unified Redeemed people. Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, verses 22 to 24. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. The last two verses of chapter 21, actually the last three verses, pardon me, 25 to 27. And in the daytime, for there shall be no night there, its gate shall never be closed, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, and nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Although heaven, the new Jerusalem, will be a gated community, the gates will perpetually, consistently, and constantly be open because there'll be no enemies. There'll be no threats against God or his redeemed people, and all the nations the redeemed nations who are now one nation in heaven may enter the capital city of heaven, the new Jerusalem, at any time to bring glory and honor to God. But the last statement of the last verse of chapter 21 is so important. But only to those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Is your name there? not your wife, not your husband, not your daddy, or not your mommy. Is your name written there? All of these wonders that we have expounded from God's word about heaven won't be yours to enjoy unless you have Jesus Christ as your Savior. Take him by simple faith. Believe on him. Admit that you're a sinner in need of his salvation and forgiveness. Trust him and only him and let him make you new from the inside out. Let him give you a repentance for all the sins that you may be committing. Don't delay. Do that today. We started with the song lyric, Heaven is my passion and prize, the goal on which I firmly fix my eyes, reward of the faithful, desire of the wise, Heaven is my passion and prize.
in Philippians 3, this in closing. The Apostle Paul from a jail was moved by the Holy Spirit to write this verse. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What was the goal that Paul referred to? It's the goal of becoming incrementally, gradually more and more to be like Jesus here on earth. That's the goal of your life and mine. That's what God is working all things together to accomplish in your life, Romans 8, 28. That's the goal, was for Paul and it is for us. What's the prize? I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The prize is being made absolutely to be like Jesus in heaven. That's the prize. That's the prize we keep our eyes on. That's the prize we long for. That's the prize we pray for. That's the prize we know those who have gone on ahead of us in Christ are realizing. Perfect likeness to Jesus. This is heaven. There's a song that is, has a line in it that's a prayer. And the line is, And fit us for heaven to live with thee there. Will you pray with me? Lord, at the end of this sermon and study on heaven, we pray three things, all to do with making us fit for heaven. First, we pray that you would help us to become more and more like Christ now, the goal. Second, in making us fit for heaven, we pray that you would help us to focus on heaven so that we may long for it better. And third, in the vein of being fit for heaven, we would pray that you would help us to explain that the only way to heaven is the Lord Jesus Christ and help us to explain this to as many persons as possible. Lord, thank you that one day in heaven, current faith will become sight. One day in heaven, you who have begun a good work in each of us, we will see how you are faithful to complete it. Thank you that in heaven, we will be made to be trophies of your grace for the angels to consider forever. And thank you, Father, that because of your incredible grace, power, and faithfulness, that you are going to make each of us who know Jesus able to stand before you in great joy in heaven. Lord, we are so appreciative of our future home. May it change our living here. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.